Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to have Beck Holland on the show. Welcome, Beck. Hi, Jeremy. It's so great to be here. It's uh, truly great for me. Uh, for the listeners, I met Beck sort of randomly. We were co-hosting a panel at Opstars at Dreamforce 2019. So Beck is the head of sales development over at Chorus. And uh, I would assume most listeners know who Chorus is, but Chorus helps record sales conversations so that reps can identify where they can improve during calls. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Beck, I'm going to ask you a couple couple questions just so I can get to know you better and the listeners can get to know you better. So first one is, what's your favorite sales book of all time and what did you learn from it? Ooh, that's a great question. Maybe this is a nonlinear path, but I read the most Charles Dickens. He is my favorite author. And so I'd have to say Barnaby Rudge is my favorite book. I know that's not a sales book necessarily, but I think it's taught me the most about sales and about how people correspond between one another. For for those who didn't get past, uh, I guess, the Dickens that they had to read in school, <laughs> and I don't remember that being assigned. What was one of your takeaways from, from that book? One of his main goals in all of his books, Barnaby Rudge included, was there's a way that all the people seem to connect together, even though they were you know, random people in the plot line, they seem to always come together in some fashion. So he was trying to prove that the world is a much smaller place than everyone imagines. So he's uh, such a writer that you almost get lost in his writing of you have to have a character list in the beginning, and you have to you know reference it throughout the novel, because there's just so much depth to it. He's the person that made me really fall in love with the English language, um, and fall in love with how people communicate, and how much depth there can be to a conversation. I guess it was great preparation for what you do in sales development yes. and the, the <laughs> incredible value you've been adding around, around personalization. Well, I'll transition over to the second question I have for you, which is uh, to, again, get to know you a little bit, which is what's your most interesting or unusual hobby? An interesting thing that I do is I have three fish in my uh, apartment that I'm pretty proud that I've kept them all alive. And their names are Kitty, um, Pickles, and Elton John Part 2. And Elton John Part 2, I consistently pitch content that I'm thinking about to him so I'm not so nervous whenever I'm speaking um, for practice on usually Friday or Saturday evenings. It's funny that you have a fish named Kitty because I have a guinea pig named Captain Cat, so there <laughs> must be something, something Same family. to that. <laughs> Same family, exactly. All right. Well, let's get into uh, let's get into flip the script. I'll encourage folks as you're you know as you're listening to this or when you get off uh, listening to the podcast, Google flip the script and Beck Holland and block some time out and watch every single one of the videos. They're all up on YouTube. Uh, watch every single one of the videos that that uh, she's produced. They are chock full of information. You'll get a bit of it here today. What prompted you to you know put that content out there? Really what prompted me to put it out there is I had worked with several teams and I had just seen the declining rates of people responding. And I had deployed a couple different methodologies that were just theories of mine, one of them being personalization, um, that people would respond if you personalize based on that actual person, something they wrote, and we can kind of, you know, get into the meat of it later. But I, uh, using a couple of these different theories, whether they're theories on KPI systems infrastructure or, you know, MQL pass-through or SQL pass-through or the messaging itself, um, one of the programs, I went in and I basically asked them for, you know, autonomy to go ahead and try some things out. And I asked them, 
you know, to give me complete autonomy for a month. And if it didn't work and I didn't double their numbers, then uh, I wanted them to let me go at the end of the month because my theories were wrong. Anywho, long story short, they gave me the opportunity to do it. And overnight, we 4X our numbers. I guess most people would try to double or 4X their number by by increasing their activity level. I know that's not the case for you. So like, what did you actually do to, to 4X your number? So we can, we can kind of get into the infrastructure that I put out. But I mean, long story short, I cut our volume down from 100 cold calls and 50 emails per day to 10 emails and 20 cold calls per day. But they knew the prospect that they were talking to. They knew everything about them, their background, their company, what their company did, et cetera. That was just one of the theories that I had thought in the marketplace of, I just came to the realization that I didn't personally respond to anything that was unpersonalized. And I had the hunch that my prospects probably wouldn't either. So I had seen a lot of really great templates or buyer persona templates, but I didn't think it would really get someone's um, attention in this day and age with, you know, the overwhelming amounts of emails. So, so long story short, a long tailed answer to your question of why flip the script I honestly just had the very deep desire to get all of that methodology out to SDRs because I knew it could help them. So I kind of set on this journey and I remember asking, I was at G2, uh, G2 crowd at the time. And I remember asking my manager, I said, Hey, you know, you want to get some good SDRs in here without necessarily having to use agencies to do it or pay someone. I have an idea on how we could get some great SDRs all in our building, some of the best in the Bay area you know, I'll run a free training session. And I remember him asking me, like, how many people are we talking here? Are we talking five? Are we talking, you know, and I said, it could be 10, could be a 1000. I have no idea. Um, But my deep down hunch was that SDRs and AEs are really, really hungry for training. So I thought that if I put a free series out there, even if I was a quote, unquote, nobody, and even if I had no necessarily credentials, other than being a practitioner, um, that people would show up for free training. So I mean, long story short, I put one post out on LinkedIn, we hit capacity on the building for five sessions in a row. And I nicknamed the series flip the script because it was flipping, you know, uh, flipping messaging that was untailored uh, categorically. um, And, you know, at best case scenario was only personalized based on buyer persona back to personalization and really overall flipping the industry from something that maybe was just a little lackluster back into something with integrity that could produce results. So, I mean, the usual thing, and I get them today, I get them every day, is like an email that says, uh, hey, Beck, I see that you are, insert title, head of sales development at Chorus. We help companies like insert company Chorus do value proposition. Uh, are you free next Tuesday at 2 p.m. for a quick chat, right? Like, that's the usual thing. What's, what's wrong with that? I mean, it's not necessarily what's wrong. It's just to me about what's working, And I had just seen declining and declining rates. I think in the beginning, you know, it was like whenever automation came out or dynamic tags, as we would call them, or you would over at Salesloft, it was like, oh, okay, it says, hi, Beck. So it's personalized to me. It must be personalized to me. And then people got smart and they realized like, oh, you can dynamic tag this and this could be a mass blast. Then we got down to, you know, company title or company size or company industry And I had just been reading these messages and they were working for a little while, I feel like, in the industry and people were hitting quote off of them just fine with that and buyer persona snippets. But then it just got to a point where people weren't opening the messages anymore. And so, you know, to answer your question, it's not necessarily about what's wrong. It's just what's compelling. 
I wanted to try something where you could hook something about Jeremy in specific. You know, hi, Jeremy, I just saw that you wrote this book. One line that stood out to me was X. And I felt like if you talked to someone about what they were doing in specific and didn't just rely on firmographic principles with whatever their company was doing, technographic principles, whatever tech stack they had, or demographic principles within their role, if you actually went to a psychographic principle, something about them, something they did, something they said, something they wrote about, you would, in essence, bring the integrity back to sales. And so it was really about you know, finding what worked for me, finding what worked for my reps and finding something that was compelling about them that I could hook back to my value prop. And then it was just learning how to scale it. Got it. So just to carry through that particular example. So it's like, hey, Jeremy, I saw you just wrote a book titled X. I noticed on page 62, you said, quote, blah, 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 right? How do you transition from that into like what your company does into the value prop? A big topic in the industry is personalization versus relevance. And I think they're very often confused. You know, if you personalize something and I say, hi, Jeremy, I noticed that you like the Red Sox. You know, we over here at Chorus help blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, I do like the Red Sox, but where's the hook? And if you're relevant without personalization, if I just say, hi, Jeremy, we help, you know, SVPs of sales, you know, drive more quota attainment, then yes, it's relevant within buyer persona, but you're just like every other rep. The predication of a great email is hooking some piece of tailored information, some personalized line. Hi, Jeremy, I noticed that you just wrote this book. One line that stood out was X. In the second line, you really have to relate it to what your company does. So, you know, let's pretend that you wrote a line that said, um, when it comes to scaling a team, it all comes down to great conversations. What if you can ensure all of your reps over at SalesLoft are having great conversations with your prospects and driving more quota attainment as a result? you know, give me a shot Wednesday at three. So a good infrastructure is I usually start with the end of the first line. You know, what if you could ensure your reps are having great conversations? And then I say, and blank as a result. And usually in that back half, I'm relating what really matters to Jeremy. So for instance, for you, I imagine an SVP of sales, you care about quota. So I'm going to talk about quota in the, in the end of that, that latter line. Yeah. So if I deconstruct pieces of that, it's, it is, you got that very, very personal reference that a machine, like if you say, I, I saw that line on page 62 and you, you know, quoted the line, there's no way a machine's going to be able to be able to do that. And I think that's a piece of it. Then you've got that, the hook or the segue from whatever that line was into what you as a company do. And that, that I got an email not too long ago from someone who saw that I lived in New Jersey and said, like, go devils, and then went right into their value proposition. Two mistakes there. I mean, one is I, I couldn't really tell you how hockey is played. Uh, so I'm definitely not a devils fan. But even if I were, just I would just would have thought it was very disingenuous to, to go from the devils to whatever the, whatever they were trying to pitch me. Right. And I, I think you hit on something really interesting there of how disingenuous it is. I think people are waiting, they're wanting to believe you in your message, but they have been so trained that they can't because of automation. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of automation can't do it because in my mind, it's not about just picking out that personalized line. So I've heard of a couple tools and I've actually, you know, trialed some of them where you know, they'll pick up something based on a recent job transition or where you live and be like, how's, you know, whatever, how's the Bay Bridge back? And I'm like, it's fine. Right, right, right. I didn't build it. <laughs> like, 
(laughs) It's super irrelevant. No ego stroke. I didn't really build it. But it's like, yes, they can come up with somewhat personalized information. I would argue 90% of the time not relevant. But I think, again, the precipice of a good email, it's hinged on that second line on whether they believe you, you know, or not. And I think that that's predicated on hooking it. So I don't think any tool will ever be able to input like, oh, over here at Chorus, we care about, you know, sales leaders being able to drive more quota, bump up ramp time, you know, and um, onboarding time and rich onboarding and coaching and one-on-ones. How do I hook that to the first line? And so I don't think, you know, the big question in the industry is could AI replace us? And I'm like, well, it depends how most of us are running it. Yes. How we should be writing sales emails and what makes a great sales email. No, it can never be replaced. Yeah. So when I first encountered your content, I decided to put it to practice. And oftentimes our AEs and SDRs will come to me and ask them for an intro. And the first few times I was using your techniques, I I found it challenging to to build those hooks and segues. But then the, the muscle started to get created. Uh, and now I feel like I can, I can do it much more smoothly. I'm wondering for your SDR team, how do you help them build their muscle to, to personalize in this particular way? Well, there's two types of reps. There are reps that are coming in straight out of college that have no experience, you know, with sales development or sales in general. And so I would say actually for those reps, it's much easier because I'm not having to untrain them from old habits. They're just coming into sales development for the first time. And I'm just teaching them this is kind of the law of the land right from the jump. But for the senior SDRs that come in with a bit of experience and are super strong in in terms of buyer persona or knowing how to have a great conversation, I would say there it takes a little bit more work. And we have to do it's kind of like any uh, sales technique. I remember when I was uh, first trained on Sandler, Um, I was an account executive, I was really exceeding my quota um, to toot my own horn, but I was exceeding my quota by quite a bit, um, upwards of 250. And I remember whenever a Sandler trainer came in and I was like, I don't need this. I don't need this kind of methodology. This can't help me. I'm already good. And over time, I started to see more and more value in what Sandler was teaching. And so I had to go through a pretty painful process. It took me about two months to unlearn what I had done naturally and learn a new stroke. And so, you know, it's slower in the beginning and then you're faster after about a couple months. But, you know, new reps, they're really, uh, really catching on within the first two weeks um, after I'm training them. Um, if they haven't had any sales development experience and if they have had some SD experience, it usually takes about a month to ramp them. But the interesting thing is after about a month and a half in any case scenario, I bring them into a room and I do training sessions where I basically say like, okay, let's take a look at this email. What's the first thing I probably think about this email? And after about a month and a half, they can tell me, you know, the top two things I probably want to get rid of and the top two things I would probably inflex in. So it's really interesting to see them, you know, learn my system, uh, deploy my system, be successful because of it, but then also help challenge me to help me grow the system even further than it is because, you know, I, I certainly don't want to stay stagnant. And I certainly don't think that I um, am the creator of all ideas. Again, I'm really using my SDRs, you know, in the AEs over here to learn the methodology and then challenge the methodology and even push it into a different realm um, so that it's even more user friendly for people who are following in after us. I want to ask you what I think is a, a common objection when people hear the example that we, you know, that we used, hey, I saw on page 62 XYZ. 
you know, what if the person you're trying to engage is not active in, you know, social media, they have a LinkedIn profile, but maybe they don't post or like or share. You know, to everyone who's listening, who's selling into sales and marketing, it's like they're pretty active on LinkedIn. You know, they're doing something. They're liking something. They're commenting on something like some kind of behavior. You know, maybe they're resharing a post from their company. But if not, then I always challenge people to find, I have five different quote unquote buckets of personalization. The first two are self-authored content. Like you mentioned, you know, they authored a, a webinar, an article or a post. Second is engaged content. They commented on someone else's post that they didn't write themselves. But then bucket three is what I call self-attributed traits. So basically a profile line, headline, you know, company line, something they wrote about themselves. Um, fourth is junk drawer, like anything you mentioned, like, you know, any kind of hockey influence or personal interest, hobbies, school they attended, et cetera. And then the last bucket is company level. So company funding, M&A, blogs, you know, any kind of bio language on LinkedIn. So even if they aren't active on LinkedIn, I would say 98% of the time find something in those latter three buckets when I go onto their, you know, website language or something they wrote about themselves. Most people have some kind of bio line where they wrote an intro about themselves. So it's just about finding that premise and then hooking it back. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at your bio line right now and, and you did tailor that on, on, uh, on LinkedIn. And I do think people, you know, even if they don't, if they're not otherwise active, they often do tailor that. Yours says a homegrown Texan, although we don't hear the accent immediately, who innately believes that hiring the right people is just as important as developing them. So if someone were to prospect you, if you were to parse that apart, I mean, if they weren't from Texas, would you? how would you feel about them referencing that part versus like the, the hiring and developing people? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. The interesting thing is I probably have upwards of, I don't know, 10 recruiters reaching out for different things per week, you know, whether that's they want to give me candidates, they want to give me managers, they want to, you know, to interview me for a role. And this week, someone sent me a message and it was the first time that they actually used that bio line. And I'm like, to me, you know, I'm telling you on my LinkedIn profile that hiring people and developing people are both of chief importance to me. And if I were a recruiter, to answer your question, it would depend on what you were selling. But if I were to be selling anything in HR, personnel, software, or even culture, you know, you're trying to recruit me and I would say, I saw your profile line about hiring the right people is just as important as developing them. You know, couldn't agree more that it all hinges on, um, on coaching, you know, uh, I, and then relate it back to your culture, you know, just like, like you love coaching. What if, uh, you could work for a company that that was chief of mine. And that was really, you know, beating the, the breasts of all the sea level. Like I would find some way to hook it back to my company as opposed to just saying, I have this open role. Do you want to interview for it? So a technical buyer is really, really difficult. A, um, someone who's like backend or product, but I always challenge people that, Usually when people tell me that it can't be done and there isn't a premise, I ask them to pull up three different prospect profiles and every single time without fail, I can find some kind of premise and hook it back to their company. So I think it's just about a commitment that you uh, are committed to personalization and that you know that it's going to deliver the results that you that you need. Yeah. So of, of the five, we talked about three of them, the self-authored content, the engaged content, the self-attributed traits, the, the drunk drawer category. I think I have a good example, a recent example of that. One of our SDRs noticed in, I think, a person's profile 
that I, I think they were a barbecue lover and they went on Yelp and found the three best barbecue places in uh, it was the three best barbecue places wherever they lived, and they said and they sent them a gift card to one of the places, and that that was that worked really effectively. Yeah, I yeah, I've seen a lot of people do it really well. I mean, if it was like a barbecue, for instance, and I was selling a software like SalesLoft, I would say you know when it comes to grilling good chicken, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's all about highlighting the best flavors, you know, and it's all about timing. What if you can ensure your reps over at Okta were sending out, you know, the right messages at the right time and highlighting the best flavors of the org to make your prospect respond? I love it. You know, I, I love the example because it just proves, and this is what I found as I as I built my own muscle doing this, that you can segue from virtually anything into what you do. You can. <laughs> so my reps, you know, almost answer your question earlier of like, how long does it take them? I think it takes for the senior level reps, it takes two weeks of them not believing, you know, and then bringing me different profiles and me hooking for them. And then after two weeks, they're like, oh my gosh, you really can do this with almost anything. You know, especially if you're selling to, you know, sales, marketing, you know, customer success, it's like they're active, they're on there and the premises are just sitting there waiting for you to hook them back and be different. So I think standing out is is of chief importance, not in terms of being silly and say you must be off on an island somewhere swallowed by a shark, but saying like, hey, you did this thing and it really mattered to me and it had an impact on me. You know, what if you could do X, Y, and Z and quicker? I view LinkedIn not as a place to necessarily prospect. I view LinkedIn as a place to find out information about all the people, you know, that I don't have a relationship with. So whenever I get that five seconds, whenever I get that 10 seconds, whenever I get that one shot, I make sure that I'm using the right bullet. The five second is probably a good segue over into a cold call because I don't know how many seconds you have to to hook somebody, but it's probably only you know, five or 10 or 15 seconds, if, if that. So how do you apply the, the flip the script concept of personalization and relevance into, into cold calling? Yeah. So in terms of email, it's all in the first line. In terms of cold calling, that is what I'm using as a diffuser. So to answer your question, I mean, even the, uh, the live script would go, you know, hi, Jeremy, this is Beck calling a quarter line with Chorus. How have you been? You know, you'd say, I'm great. Doing well. How can I help you? Glad to hear that. Hey, the reason for my call is I saw you wrote this article. I just saw you wrote this book recently on LinkedIn about selling effectively. I was on page 62 and I just couldn't get enough. One line that really hooked me was when it comes to scaling organizations, it's all about having great conversations. So I was curious to know if you've come across course before. Yeah. And like you instantly flattered the person, right? That you took the time and disarmed them, right? That they're, they're, they're willingness to say no to somebody who is getting value out of, you know, content that they created, content they engage with and so on. Um, yeah, you, you just completely bring the barrier down. Right. So I think what's really important in those first sections and, you know, those first 10 seconds is like, you know, they're going to give you the same response that you did of like, good, what can I help you with? And it's like, get to the point. And it's like, I get straight to the point. <laughs> you know, even if they ask me a question up front, you know, you'll get a lot of people to say, you know, you're back on our quarter line with who? And I'll be like, that's a great question, no matter what they say. That's a great question. Reason for my outreach is, and I'm into the personalization. So kind of a litmus test. One of my reps came up the other day and he said, hey, um, someone hung up on me. And I was like, 
Okay. Yeah, lucky them. To, <laughs> that's never <laughs> right. happened before. Wow. You've been in the world of personalization so long that people, it's interesting. They will not hang up on you, especially if you're talking about them. Like, don't worry about me. Don't worry about my value prop or, you know, what my co- company name is, even what my name is. I want to talk about you right off the jump. And it was just so funny, you know, seeing his, it was encouraging seeing his bright Joey eye being so confused and like, you know, choked up that someone hung up on him because he's simply, they just don't run into it here because they are, you know, they're leading with that level of research. So, you know, I think it, it charms your prospects and you get that, you know, I don't want to trivialize it, but you get a dopamine rush of you're saying something, you know, about them that you've engaged with. But I think what's really necessary nowadays is that, you know, I think the CMO of Lyft said it the best. Um, you know, if you want 15 minutes of my time, give me five of yours first by researching me. So I think it's important that we lead with that. Um, and that's part of our, our character and our pillars. I started wondering as you were talking through that, whether you've changed your hiring process or the way you screen people to find people who are, who are more likely to, to work within the system or, or if your hiring process really has not changed. I would say I'm always the ideal candidate for me is someone who is that perfect balance of they buy into the content and they really like it but they also want to challenge me on it. You know, if I'm not challenged, if, if this system isn't challenged, if we're not constantly trying to be better, you know, if I'm not better tomorrow than I am today, then there was essentially no, you know, point of getting out of bed in the morning. And so I try and hire very, very critical thinkers who are very, very interested in the material. You know, in terms of motivation, I think a lot of people talk about culture and how to motivate someone in a really, quote unquote, grind heavy role like sales development. You know, part of what really I have just seen uh, motivates my teams is they can see their influence on this process because they're like, oh, we say this hook differently because of me, because of my my influence. And I said this thing to Beck and she thought it over and trimmed it a little bit and put it in there and we helped grow it. You know, so the kinds of people that I really try to hire are the kinds of people who, you know, really like the system, think it's really interesting, like to lead with integrity, like to know who they're talking to, you know, like to do that level of research, but then also want to, you know, take it to the next level for me. Because again, like, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. Um, you know, I've been at this for a little while and I really want, I want to hire the people that are going to be much further than me at this point in their career, but they're just entry level and they're just super young so that I can work with really talented minds. Is there an example of someone who challenged you on something that you were really resistant to, and then you found that you had to work it into your system? Oh, all the time. There was someone that I hired two months ago, Um, and shout out Rob, if you're listening to this, but I basically hired him. He was a former account executive, um, and he agreed to, you know, quote unquote, take a step back, um, because he really just like chorus and in the technology. So he obviously being a closer, like he had quite a bit of experience and there's a point in our quote unquote script where basically you're supposed to deliver what's called a 30 second commercial. It's a Sandler term. We take him through an upfront contract that sounds something like, you know, how about this, Jeremy, you give me the next 30 seconds to give you my best dog and pony show on who we are and why I thought we might be a good fit for sales loft. And at the end of that 30 seconds, you can tell me whether it makes sense to continue to chat from there. Fair. And he said, fair. And then you kind of go into this 30 second commercial. 
Rob came in and he challenged me and he said, may I make a suggestion? And I'm like, well, you're 2X in quota, so sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do earn the right to make those suggestions. Yeah, I'm like, suggest away. I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, mimic you and mirror you and, you know, learn from him. And he said, I think in this day and age when there's a lot of clutter, I think we might be a little too wordy in that section and we might want to cut to the chase a little faster. He was changing it around, but, you know, I was really open to being challenged and kind of working with him on it. And I'm like, okay, go on. And I asked a couple of questions. Our 30 second commercial today is much different than before Rob joined on. So, you know, I'm looking for reps like Rob, um, you know, that can, again, come in, learn it, 2X quota, 3X quota, 4X quota, and prove me wrong on why our system is, quote unquote, the best and make it better. I want to leave you a little bit of room to um, let folks know how to how to get in touch with you and how to learn more about Flip the Script and, and what you guys do. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you just look me up as Beck Holland. Uh, Flip the Script content, we air um, a session once a week on the course.ai page. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.